Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the Fateful. And for the Fateful, I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. How hey, you doing? Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? I'm a little bit gobsmacked. That was hmm. easily the Oilers' worst loss of the season, four to nothing. Bruce, in terms of great eight chances, in the first period, it was 14 to nothing for the Habs. Overall, I mean, the game was over then. Overall, it was 18 to two. 18 to two. And the two Oilers' great eight chances, Bruce, were kind of a marginal chances. It was a tourist outside shot that Cassian tipped on that. And we, we count tips because those are dangerous shots. They can go in quite easily. And then the other one was Tyson Berry's darn good point shot, which Kyler Yamamoto screened, but it was an outside screen shot, you know, uh, off the post on the power play. Outside of the post, yeah. And that was it. That was Mm -hmm. it. It was for the whole freaking game. Well, give or take Connor McDavid's perfect shot on an offside play. That doesn't count, but. Oh, God. It was that kind of night, David. Offside challenge (laughs) on the first goal by Montreal. Oilers challenged and lost and took a penalty. Offside challenge on the first goal by Edmonton. Montreal challenged and won. And both calls, I mean, the second one they got right. The first one, I'm not sure we ever saw a definitive angle, so they couldn't all return it. I thought the penalty was a little bit piling on, but it was that kind of night. Not much was going to go right, we knew early. The people doing the video review in Montreal are the same people who are doing the official scoring I don't know if we can trust it because the official scoring in Montreal, and I've noticed this two games in a row, is atrocious. They're constantly, Bruce, misidentifying players, not counting things correctly, missing shots, adding shots. It's a, it's, it is a mess. What's there's, there's there a noise in the background there? Um, yeah, it motorcycle. is a mess. Oh, motorcycle. Spring has arrived. Yeah. Spring is spring. So, so, anyway, this is our two good things. Two bad things and two numbers podcasting because this is the worst game of the year. There'll be no good things and infinite bad things. I'm just kidding. We'll each we'll try to get a good thing each. Two good and things, two hundred bad things, and two numbers. Can we do it yeah, that way? Yeah, <laughs> one for each hockey man in the big village. Ooh, yeah. uh, Bruce, we'll go with two bad things each and two numbers. Sure. Do you have a good thing, Bruce McCurdy? I do. I do. Uh, and that is the Edmonton Oilers taking away three points from a three-game Eastern road trip, what became the three-game Eastern road trip. I think they kind of stole three points out of Toronto, to be honest. Uh, and they were outshot um, 31-23, 31-20, and 32-17 tonight. So they were, you know, chasing the game in all three of those games. But they managed to to uh, hang around in the in the Toronto games. And uh, take them both to overtime and win one of them. And so, uh, as far as the standings is concerned, they come home from this uh, trip with the saw-off. As far as the hockey is concerned, just hide your eyes bad. But that's all the more reason to say getting those points is a good thing. Because that, uh, you know, uh, that's going to help them down the road, whether they fully deserve those points tonight. They got what they deserved tonight, I can tell you exactly the number of points. I don't think they would have beat the Leduc Riggers tonight. Yeah, you know that you're coming out skate. You know you're uh, coming out skating slow when Corey Perry looks fast on the ice, Bruce. <laughs> when he's when he's looking like he's mm-hmm. anyway. You know, Bruce. My good thing is related to this. I I don't I I think the Toronto team was the better team in both those games, and the Oilers were lucky to get points. Um, 
from from that. So I'm going to say the good thing is this game getting drubbed so badly. It's a wake up. It's an undeniable wake up call. You could have kidded yourself. The owners could have kidded themselves after those Toronto games. Well, we beat those guys, and you know Smith stole that game. And um, so this game, they can't kid themselves. They can say, "Oh well, it's just one game," I guess. But I think it's. I think we're seeing something, Bruce. I, I saw it last game, which is why I gave such low low marks and was pretty critical in the podcast after the Oilers win. Yeah. They were sloppy in that game. They were, and they didn't get punished for it. They were exceptionally sloppy in this game, and they did get punished for it. Montreal hit the net, whereas the Leafs missed the net on their shots. Mm-hmm. So this is what happens when you're sloppy and um, they hit the net. So so all kinds of players, including the very best players on their team, have this should be a wake-up call. It shouldn't be brushed aside. Like, you've got to play better team defense. And if you don't, you're not going to go very far in the playoffs this year. And I know people don't like to hear that. There was a lot of criticism after that criticism. Critique was made oh, yeah. of the Oilers in the playoffs <laughs> last year. But it's true, Bruce. The big guys have got to play better. And I'm talking all the defense, not just McDavid and Dreisaitl, but Nurse, Barry, all of these big-time uh, players. Go ahead. And all the small-time players and, and all, all the, the in-between players. players and everybody. Everybody. And coaches yeah. and the water boys, they all need to be better than that. That was an atrocious display of hockey. I have nothing kind to say about that game other than – Obviously, they hit the wall, and maybe there's a reason they hit the wall. I mean, I don't know how many games they played in March, but uh, this was a game that was never on the calendar. It was like I, I almost forgot to set my recorder to watch this game because I set them all in advance, and, of course, this game was never in the in the system. I barely remembered late this afternoon, oh, yeah, I've got to record this game, and it was like the Oilers barely remembered that they were supposed to play it because they just were not even remotely close to ready to play and okay, we've never already got, never got better. It, uh, Montreal called off the dogs. Is, they did. It's uh, basically what got better because <laughs> they really could have run up the score against this crew tonight, I think. <clears throat> so we've already gone on a little bit about bad things, but now we will uh-huh. officially move to the two bad things each section of the right. podcast. So <laughs> let uh, why don't I start? Because uh, sure. mine's the... We weren't, we're not going to rehash the first goal um, where... Devonshore may or may not have been tripped. I'm, it's t- hard to tell from the replay. He did wipe out for no apparent reason in the slot, and he would have been the guy who would have stopped that from being a three-on-two. That said, it was misplayed a little bit. My, but my bad thing, Bruce, is uh, you know between that and the in the second goal, there's one, two, three, four, five more grade A scoring chances. Anyway, the second goal is my bad thing, and I thought it typified the Oilers' effort on the night. And when when you're like, I really am counting on Darnell Nurse and Connor McDavid to play well defensively. They are the leaders of the team, the heart of the team. They get the most ice time. And um, if they can get it done on defense, as they often have this year, the owners are going to win because of everything else they bring. But on that particular play, I, both of them did flybys. Nurse and it, Nurse's guy who scores the goal, um, if I'm not mistaken, Nurse, nurse, he he goes to the net. He stops at the net. Darnell Nurse doesn't though. As the play goes around the net, he, Darnell Nurse cruises right on by the net, and meanwhile the puck's thrown out in front, and there's no one there because the other guy who should be covering the front of the net, Connor McDavid, also does a flyby. So both of them didn't stop at the net 
in the defensive zone to, to help out their goalie. It's their fundamental job in the defensive zone, cover that front of the net, and they both failed. And I hope they're feeling it because that was a crucial play in the game. The game is still within your grasp at that point, and you can't have that kind of mental error. You know, maybe they just were totally wiped out, Bruce, because, you know, that was just, that was such lazy, careless hockey that, Maybe the explanation, but that's the kind of thing that they should stick in their craw and, and spur them on. Like, I'm not to think I'm not doing that again. Mm. Yeah. You're a bad now, thing. What they Unless did you have a comment. Yeah. Was, well, embarrass themselves. Uh, I'll, 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 I guess, start with the, uh, since you already did second goal, the third Montreal goal which was a simple face-off play that wound up in the Oilers' net after about five seconds after a number of guys kind of blew their assignments. And uh, Dreisaitl, it was almost a semi-one draw off to the side, and Tyson Berry was lined up with the goal scorer, Brendan Gallagher, on the right-wing boards, attacking boards. And Dreisaitl, uh, Gallagher, just uh, uh, after the face-off was won, Gallagher cut into the middle of the ice, and Barry started to follow him, and the puck went right past him, and Barry got all kind of confused. Should I go for the puck? Should I go for the man? The guy Choose the man. Montreal Choose center, the man. <laughs> Montreal center, Philip Deneau, was the guy that actually retrieved his own sideways face-off on the boards and fed it back to the point. And by this time, Gallagher's already in front, not being challenged by Barry's partner, Darnell Nurse. Uh, and Gallagher... By my view, got a piece of the deflected Shea Weber shot on the way in. Yeah. It hit the post, which I think was already the third time Montreal rang the goal post. And this was at the, oh, this was the third goal, 15-58 of the first. Yeah. And they'd already hit the post at least twice in the early going, plus this one. And then Koskinen, I mean, I, I think he was beat by the tip on the first shot, but he couldn't find the rebound at all. And Nurse couldn't find the rebound, and Gallagher could. And Nurse, that was one of those plays where Nurse's job is to take a penalty for tackling Gallagher, because that's the only way he's going to prevent the goal. But he just doesn't have the awareness or the wherewithal or whatever it took to to make that stop. And Gallagher wanted it more than any of the Oilers at that moment in time. And I just thought, you know, just a nothing play where they got the face off, from, you know, after a dangerous chance just before and, and Koskinen had frozen the puck and gotten the draw. And then the new line with the, you know, dry saddle McDavid, Paul Yarby, who had a very rough night, came out and within five seconds it was three to nothing. And it was, if it wasn't garbage time already, David, it certainly was at that point, which was for the remaining 45 minutes of action. If you want to be charitable and call it action. My second uh, bad thing, Bruce, will be um, early in the second period, uh, there's a play where the Oilers have it in the Montreal end, and it comes out, shot down the ice, and there's kind of a contested puck in Edmonton's end where Lagasin gets it, and he's being har harassed by a Montreal forward. But at that very moment, um, you know, when there's a contested puck in Edmonton's end, three Edmonton forwards, Cassie and Puglia Yarvi and McDavid decide to change off the ice all at once. And um, this, when oh. Lagasin loses the puck battle, and he loses it, um, mm -hmm. it leads to a Montreal a grade A chance. So that's that was just another one of those mental mistakes that you just can't have. And uh, we're typical 
this game. All three forwards absolutely coasted to the bench. And Lagesson had full possession, but he was on his own side of centre. He wasn't in position to shoot it in without icing it. And, you know, they have to give him a little bit of support and, you know, a couple of passing options. Or at minimum, they should be waiting till he gets to centre and dumps it in and then makes the change. I mean, the second period, the bench is a long way from the defensive zone. And once Lagesson coughed the puck up, all that was left was his partner because the forwards were all, you know, 20 feet behind the play, the new line, the, all the guys that took minuses on that play that didn't deserve them. Um, oh, you mean Paul Yarby avoided one on that one he, instead of getting his fourth? Uh, no, he actually got one because uh, he, he was on the ice for the last three goals against, according to this. Okay, but, uh, all right, there you go. As you've already pointed out, the Montreal scorekeepers, uh, the... Uh, uh, Honestly, David, watching this game and trying to track scoring chances, and I go to the play-by-play to see what was it officially a shot on goal or was it recorded as a block shot or missed the net, you know, and then I go and look at it again. And 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 I allow, sometimes I allow it even to be the tiebreaker if, they, if officially they say it was, you know, two shots or three, you know, one of those kind of things. And it was like it was a different game. I went over there and they said, well, Josh Anderson had a 20-foot shot at 1830 of the second period. And Josh Anderson wasn't even on the ice. And Montreal didn't have the puck in Edmonton's territory at that time. And there, was just, <laughs> and there were some, like, ridiculous sequences where, I mean, there was one maybe two and a half minutes into the game where there was all five Oilers, all six Oilers and four Montreal guys all within about eight feet of the Edmonton net pounding away at the puck. And the play-by-play was like, Nothing happened in there. I'm sorry, a whole lot happened in there. Shots were saved, shots were blocked. You know, it was almost like the rugby sequence in Vancouver. Uh, again, but it, uh, it anyway, the, go, the play by go, play, it was like it was like fiction. Do they places, go or it was it off by ten game? seconds or stuff? It's brutal. Do they they go should be audited. Do they well, do they audit it themselves after the game? Do they ever change it, or is this official, or do they just do it the once live? Do they not go over the video? Well, they it's... they do review stuff to fix obvious mistakes, like attributing plus minuses and stuff like that. Sometimes they do, you know, and, and not... scoring plays and stuff. But honestly, David, this this play by play, I mean, I, maybe I want to go over it myself. And watch, well, I don't know if I want to watch that game again, but just to see how how far out of whack, like they were off by many seconds, and, and some of the attributions, and you know we rely on that data. I mean, that, the the the, uh, the analytical hockey community relies on the data coming out of these games and being accurate. And you know when they say that shot was taken and they have the wrong guys on the ice, well, that doesn't exactly. Uh, well, this raised my confidence in the data. Yeah, when analytics companies who review the videotape themselves, like we do mm-hmm. on scoring chances, yeah. when they go to the NHL teams and they say, they'll say, "Hey, if you're relying on the official NHL play-by-play, you 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 need to understand one thing. Eight percent of the time, that, that's the number. That, I can't remember which analytics company told me that, but that's the number that sticks in my head. Eight percent of the time, they get it wrong. Mm-hmm. Like you know, this is a huge amount of error in the NHL's data." And if you, so if you're relying on publicly available stats, just know that like there's a, there's lots of mistakes there. And, and you and I know this they ourselves. Were rusty. 
you and I know this are maybe they were rusty. You know, when we when I go over it the first time and then you you check my work on the scoring chances, it's easy for one person to make a mistake. It's it's really great to have the second person go over it, then I can go look at it again and then we can back and forth on it, have a discussion. But it's easy just sometimes to misidentify players. It happens. Yeah. Uh, it happens to the best of us, Bruce. I'll put it that way. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I know it happens, and uh, <laughs> uh, I've I, I've I had a couple chats with uh, uh, one of the longtime minor uh, official score scorers in Edmonton that lives in the neighborhood, and uh, talked about some of the you know some of the wrinkles that can happen during during games. And the guys in Edmonton are really good. I got to say, they you know when I look at the play by play and actually compare it to what I see by eye, it's I mean there's judgment calls as there's judgment calls in everything yes i mean we we have that problem ourselves was the shot going to be on the net or was it going to be an inch outside the post you know and and and, and sometimes you, you can see the right angle and say oh i think that one would have missed but they credited the shot but i mean those are minor things but they, they when they do make a, a mistake they fix it they do fix it and they, and they get it right yeah. all right bruce what is your second bad thing Oh, well, I'm tempted to say the Edmonton Oilers, but that really should have been my first bad thing. But I, I'm going to point the finger a little bit today at Coach Dave Tippett. Uh, I don't think he had a good game, and I don't think he had a good game right from the start. Like, going with the exact same lineup as last night, third game in four days, when he has fresh players sitting in the press box, uh, you know, that uh, chomping at the bit, you know, and, and uh, um, they got... You know, other guys that are obviously at the end of their rope. And, you know, you got a young guy like Caleb Jones sitting up there in the press box, never getting into a game. Or you've got a Montreal native Alex Chason sitting up there in the press box that had last night off and might have had fresher legs and, uh, than some of these guys. So he, he didn't do anything, I guess, because they won last night's game. But you and I saw through the process that last night's game wasn't that great. And they, you know, uh, and then his big decision to start with the checking line blew up in his face at the 18 second mark of the first period when Montreal had already scored when the checking line gave up a full ice three on two right off the hop. And then the decision to uh, question the offside review on what turned out to be insufficient evidence. I mean, I guess it was a, it was a gamble, but that blew up in their face, and they're killing a penalty. And by the 30-second mark, already Shea Weber has rung another rocket off the crossbar. <laughs> it would have been 2 nothing in the first 30 seconds of the game. And he had a rough start. And, uh, it, you know, and his team, he certainly didn't have his team ready to play. <clears throat> Whether you want to blame that on the coach, the players, the you know, the hockey gourds that sort of created this extra game that was never on the schedule, whatever, uh, they were not ready. And some of that has to go on the coach. So rather than point fingers at this player or that player, I'm going to just say uh, this this game's, you know, uh, <laughs> it stunk from the top down. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I think it really is important. Uh, and I think coaches often do, they do focus on process. Like they don't kid themselves. And I just, uh, maybe, you know, maybe they were just so wrapped up after, like it's such a huge win last night, right? The, the overtime win and, and I can remember other big emotional wins in recent years where the the team has come out very flat in the next game yep. but he might have put in you know William Lagerson has been struggling for a little bit of time now oh, yeah. to to the to the extent that I, I'm starting to sense his partner Adam Larson doesn't really trust him with the puck and I, I'm going to get into that in a second 
Um, Wild Bill's a good player. He's a good third-pairing defenseman. They're asking a lot of him right now. And uh, I think putting Caleb Jones in would have been a would have been a wise move. I think they've I, I think they miss Chase on on the power play whenever he's not playing. Honestly, I just think he's so effective out there, and he 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 pulls the defenders to him with his utter discipline and hanging around the front of the net. So I, he could have easily gone in, and you know I obviously I would have gone to the dynamite line, <laughs> but I would have been going with them all year. They did go to that line. Um, in the second period, but they didn't get even get that. It was such a fragmented game with penalties after that. They didn't get a ton of shifts together. We'll see if I, I doubt we'll we'll see that line. He just seems, you know, I just I just am frustrated with the coach in this way, Bruce. We need to see Dominic Cahoon play with Connor McDavid to see if that works. You just never know what's going to work and what what doesn't work. And the fact that we're this far into the season and we haven't seen. A top six, what is probably a top six winner, identified as a top six winger by the Oilers this year. He's yet to play that with McDavid. Uh, I wish we had seen that earlier on. But anyway, there's still time. Still time for him to get it right. What's your number, Bruce? Yeah. <clears throat> on the subject of William Lagason. here's tonight's, uh, in 11 minutes and 10 seconds that he was on the ice, the Oilers were outshot 14 to 2. 14 Ow. to 2, with shot attempts of 20 to 2. And the puck was just in the Edmonton end basically the entire time. Of course, this includes the atrocious shift from hell, which I think you're going to mention shortly, uh, which was probably several of these shots against. But uh, uh, the, <laughs> the puck is not moving forward when no. Magnuson's on the ice. And... He makes good defensive plays, but that's not enough. I mean, you, you got to get the puck going the other way a little bit. And uh, uh, his uh, his uh, shot metrics, which were never good, are getting progressively worse. I mean, two to fourteen in eleven minutes. I mean, I yeah, I really like him. I like his play, but I just think having like Larson Lagas like- Larson Lagasin and and Russell all in the same lineup all at once is just one puck mover short of the load like you need one more puck mover in there shy of a load you need you need to get that you need to have Jones in there i think or 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 Bouchard or Lenstrom give Lenstrom a game see if he can play he's been sitting here going stale like he's Lenstrom Lenstrom's a very good hockey player He's he's as good a player, I think, as William Lagesson in a, in a different style, in a different way. So um, anyway, I just it's it is he likes the coach likes his defensive D man. I get it. I can I, I can understand that. I mean, Chris Russell has played I think really well, and he's played very well with Ethan Bear. So I wouldn't be taking out Chris Russell right now. But Lagesson, ah, he's he could he could he actually needs a break. I think is the truth. Funny, Russell would have been the guy I would have been tempted to take out tonight just because yeah. of back-to-back three and four days and he's him being 34 years old. But you know what, Russell was, uh, other than that very, very early goal where it was a three-on-two against right off the hop, he had four of Edmonton's 17 shots and three of Edmonton's 18 block shots and he would probably wins the prize as the most competitive oiler in the pretty uncompetitive game. But he's they been named him third star in the broadcast, which was kind that. of 
crazy because uh, I would say there was yeah. probably about 18 Montreal players I could have named first. Yeah. Officially, it was three halves forwards, Dano, Tatar, and Byron that were named. My number is 10, Bruce. And that is the number of turnovers on the shift from hell. This is, this is Montreal's fourth goal. And the it, it starts with a grade A. It starts with a turnover by Jujar Kara and a grade A scoring chance by Mete in the slot, where Kara just kind of, I think it might have actually deflected a little bit, if I'm not mistaken, into the slot. He whipped it to Devon Shore in the slot and it caught. Yeah. Ticked Shore a little bit, but it went right to Mete. Yeah. So, and that starts with, and it ends with a grade A chance by Thomas Tatar and a goal against. But in between, Bruce, there was, there was eight other, eight more, uh, turnovers and i'll just quickly go through them all so it starts with jujar in the corner turnover mete chance that's at three what was the time? 323 okay. then we have the Oilers advance the puck out kara should dump it in he gets to the offensive blue line of the habs the blue line of the habs and he turns it over at 312 it goes into the Oilers' end adam larson at 302 dumps it out into the center ice area 302 that's the that we got three it goes back into Edmonton's end. At 2.57, Shore and Lagesson can't get it out in a failed clearance. At 2.50, Larson and Pugliarvi, Larson whips it up the boards blindly, it looks like, and Pugliarvi can't get it out. At 2.42, the Oilers get it out, and Pugliarvi turns it over in the neutral zone. At 2.33, Larson, at that point, just dumps it out. He gets it back in the Oilers' end, he dumps it out. And, and this is the moment where I'm thinking, he really doesn't trust Lagesson to put it over to Lagesson, because there was a number of plays, moments there, where the wise play would have probably been to go D to D, and he never he's not making that play, and I'm starting to wonder why. At 2.28, uh, Kara gets stripped of the puck. At 2.13, Pugliarvi fails to clear it. At 2.09, Kara is stripped for the tenth for the final and tenth turnover of that sequence of pain, uh, and the puck is whipped over to Tatar, to tar, who uh, one times it into the net, ending. That really horrible, horrible sequence of pain. Sequence of pain. That one was minute thirty four seconds. Kara's shift. I mean, these each, each one of these turnovers. If you're tracking the times that David was saying, they're like eight seconds apart because Montreal's got the puck in between times. Yeah. And sometimes they're getting in the neutral zone. They're pouring back in over the over the Edmonton blue line, and sometimes they're just getting it in the corner and working it back to the point. But Edmonton had multiple chances. To, to make a play and they made none over the course of that one minute and 34 second shift for Kara. And let me just double check with uh, uh, Lagesson, two minutes and three seconds he was on the ice for on that sequence. So, I mean, they didn't have the, they didn't have the, 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 the gas in the tank to battle. I mean, it was a, eventually they were beaten by lactic acid and not even the Canadians, you know, but it was, uh, <laughs> it, it was a terrible sequence. My wife went to the washroom in there. I'm not what sure what she was, she was doing because it took a while because she missed the whole shift. She came out and, and I, I said to her, well, it's four nothing now. And I, this is exactly word for word what I said. I'll bet you the Oilers turned the puck over 10 times on that sequence before it wound up in the net. <laughs> and you, did, you eh? counted them, and there was 10. So there you go. <laughs> oh, that was so Oilers horrible. Off, right? Yeah, I mean, really. I mean, here's my other good thing tonight. The Oilers made enough mistakes tonight to lose five hockey games, and they only lost one. <laughs> 
that was like a minor hockey league shift. Honestly, it was so bad. Like in, you know, like in minor hockey, you have those, sh- like, you know, you're either you're hemming them in or they're hemming you. And just like, there's such an out in minor hockey. There's such disproportionate talent on the ice. Sometimes it different, like the player, the variance of the players is so huge there that you'll often yeah. get these dominating kind of shifts. Mm-hmm. And well, this uh, is, that was it was one like of them. one of those games early in the season before they've correctly seeded the teams, you know, where one team <laughs> beats the other team 20 to nothing and they move up a division and the losing team yeah. moves down a division and now it's a little closer to to fair. It was like one of those. It was, And that's where, I mean, the Oilers, if I'm going to criticize Dave Tippett, his team didn't look like they were very well coached at all in this game. And uh, I don't think that's really on the coach, but, I mean, he's, he's wearing the mantle and, you know, well, his, this, uh, his this, boys this, hit the wall. Yeah. This is fuel for my particular fire, Bruce, that I do think they need to make a move if they want to compete in the playoffs. Because mm-hmm. there there may be an answer internally. Maybe if they try Cahoon with McDavid and and whoever, Pugliarvi or Yamamoto, like one of the other, one of the good, right, you know, good young right-wingers. Tourists? Maybe they'll... No, not, <laughs> not tourists. That penalty he took, Bruce, where oh. he's... Hanging on. That was a metaphor for his season. He was hanging on to this guy, Gravy, and he's just literally hanging on to his NHL career. Like, all due respect. And I'm, I am, I root for all the Oilers, including Tar- Kyle Turris. I hope that he does well. But he is really struggling in the NHL this year. And that was a really bad penalty. And McDavid's penalty, that was a little bit iffy, Bruce. Like, I, I, like part of me liked it because he showed some fire. Mm-hmm. But maybe a little too much fire. I mean, he hammered that guy right in the head, and um, I feel like it came pretty close there to head be supplemental yeah. discipline on that. It's possible. What do you think? Yeah, well, I, I, well, I think that McDavid in the first period might have been the worst period I've seen out of him for a long time. Anyway, what do you have? Four or five different mistakes on scoring chances against, and, and he could make a play, and he and he and he took that penalty and. Something else went haywire. Oh, he got hit in the face by uh, by Leon. Leon that was, made a pass and it came up and it drilled McDavid. That's I probably said, McDavid. Worse than I said to my wife at that point, why shoot yourself in the foot when you just shoot each other in the face? Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those. It, it, the good thing about this game is we knew early that this one was beyond um, salvation, right? Early, early. Yeah. Like I, I stopped almost caring about the game by first period, during the first period. Like, nope, we're done here. Let's just survive with no injuries. That was really, mm-hmm. you know. Okay. Is that what they teach you at the, you know, the non-aggression against clipboards class to just mm-hmm. kind of, to kind of let it go, let it go. Well, I wasn't grading tonight. So there, there was that, like if I'd been grading this game, I'd be a lot surlier right now than I am because I'd be looking forward to writing about this pig for two or three hours. Right. <laughs> have fun, Kurt. <laughs> yeah, Kurt Levins is doing it. I have, uh, McDa- we have McDavid Bruce nine ma- or six major mistakes, six major mistakes on grade A scoring chances against not one contribution to a scoring chance for. So, so this is such a night nice, like McDavid's usually about like, he averages it's Six about five and five and one, uh, you know, yeah. six and one, uh, mm-hmm. you know, grade eights, four to grade eights against. And here he is. It's just what a horrible game. And the one and goal he does the score period, gets all back. Because yeah. that's when all the scoring chances were. Yeah. So they play Friday against Calgary. Is that it? Is that next Friday, up? Calgary, Saturday, Vancouver, both at home. 
and they got two days in between times to uh, come home, lick their wounds, sleep in their own beds, and get their crap together. I wonder if we'll, what we'll see with the lines. I wonder if we'll see him stick with the dynamite line. He's really shown a hesitancy to do that this year for some reason. I don't understand yeah, no. it. But um, and I so I'm not expecting that. You know, mm-hmm. I just what I what I want to see McDavid and Cahoon because they have a decision to make coming up at the trade deadline. I think they should they should have called Tyler Benson up two weeks ago. They should still do it now. They've got to find an answer. They've got to get one more top six forward. Uh, now that Dylan Hallway doesn't look like, I don't know what the latest is. I haven't heard. Six but I, weeks, broken thumb. Okay. Now that he's out, they, mm-hmm. they, they, a move is incumbent on them. And so one of the moves could just be, this Cahoon work with McDavid? Maybe it does. Because it's not working with Drysaddle and Yamamoto, I don't think, sufficiently at least. And neither is Nugent Hopkins, Pugliarvi, and McDavid. That line doesn't have much chemistry either. So you've got to find some chemistry outside of McDavid and Drysaddle. Bruce, we saw it again, I think, on the second goal against what we saw repeatedly last year. You put McDavid and Drysaddle together, they start to get confused about who's supposed to cover the defensive slot. I've seen it, maybe I'm looking for it, but mm-hmm. we, we did see that tonight. Uh, and we saw it, I think, we saw it against Toronto as well a number of times. They start to figure, I'm not, am I the center or the winger? And when that, when you're having that thought on the ice, well, the puck's great, a shot on net. So I don't mind those guys together for a short amount of time to super jolt the team. But they got to figure this out. They got to get their top two lines in order because they're not, I don't believe. Yeah, well, the, the, Big power line had had zero going on the last two games. Like last night, they had a pretty brutal game, and tonight was was worse than that. Yeah, but it so, probably will be break that group up. So, so it's, it depends what you do. How do you configure things? So, tip it to his credit to start the second period, he completely rejigged all four lines and all three defense pairings. And the only reason he didn't change goalies was that it was Smith's night off no matter what. Like one one thing they had to get out of this game was a night off for Smith. So Mikko had to suck it up. And I thought he was okay after that. But, you know, first period was, you know, like chaos all around him. But he didn't have enough thumbs for the, uh, uh, to fill the holes in the dike. And yeah. Between him, between the three goals that went in and at least probably three that hit the post. It was a pretty tough period. Some wild scrambles around him. Poor guy. Poor guy. There does seem, there does seem to be... He has been playing well, right, since Smith mm-hmm. got back in the lineup. It's yeah. a good save percentage. But he there does seem to be a little different energy about the team when Smith's in that. I will say that. It's yeah, just, it's the team. The team changes. I mean, yeah, the team changes. I mean, Mikko... Mikko uh, uh, I wrote this morning about how the Oilers have been doing well in back-to-backs, and in the second game, of the, they always go with Smith in the first game when the team has more energy, and the second game, they they go to Koskinen, and he tends to face more shots and just sort of soak up the rubber and give him a chance to win. Well, tonight, that chance went away real early. I felt so bad for him on that first yeah, one, because that was, a, like, how many goalies are going to get that? If they got that first shot, a point-blank shot, one-timer shot, pass back, it, it's it's... It would be luck to make that yeah. save, and he didn't have that good luck. So, alrighty, Bruce. Well, let's leave it there. Guess we've hashed over that one enough, okay? Yeah. What changes right. would you make, Bruce? Like, if you were to to make some changes, uh, I'd be tempted to to uh, uh, get a couple 
get some fresh bodies in there because, I mean, what Tip will probably do is say, okay, we've got a couple of days off to recharge and let's give these guys another shot. But uh, uh, I'm having a hard time imagining Caleb Jones or Evan Bouchard would be any worse than the, than, uh, the showing that we got uh, from the defense uh, defenseman who did play tonight. Uh, and up front, there's, uh, I mean, they've gone, they've cycled through the options. I'm not sure there's any sort of wild and crazy things other than that. I think this would be the time to split Connor and Leon again and put them back in the middle on their own lines and try and get their games reorganized because they've, uh, they've strayed from the, uh, from the discipline. Indeed. All right. Well, Bruce, thanks for talking tonight. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.